The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Great, awesome, good to see many people here today. Uh, I, have, I actually haven't given a talk for a little while, uh, which is strange because I'm just like over there and I haven't, haven't, given, <laughs> haven't given a talk in a while. A few things have uh, uh, conspired. Uh, I've, I've been sick uh, every now and again and then shifting around. So it's actually, it's been a couple of months. So the last time I gave a talk, everybody was in masks. And uh, last time I actually gave a talk in person here was... Uh, yeah, it was, everyone was masked up, so it's nice to actually see some people's faces now. I might actually be able to recognize you now. I couldn't recognize you before. Didn't know who you were, so it's, it's fine. Um, so yeah, it's very nice to see everybody coming back. Good to see you uh, coming out on a Sunday for, to listen to the Dhamma. It's very encouraging. It's a good sign that people are practicing and good sign that people are, are interested, and it's, it's really good to do these things where we actually get together and practice. So... So what I actually wanted to talk about this morning is when I was thinking of well, what am I going to talk about, I haven't talked for a while, what am I going to talk about, I, I thought actually I'm going to talk about something it's, and it's probably the most common question that I get it, pretty much every time that you say, does anybody have any questions, somebody is going to ask this question. So, and I, th I think you know, question masters know what this question is going to be, um, and we all have this question at some point. And it is the question around, why doesn't my mind stop thinking in meditation? You get asked this question every time. Why, why does the mind keep wandering off? Um, so I actually, I wanted to uh, address this question because, you know, most of the time, and I'm just as guilty of this as everybody else, you hear this question come up and if you've been practicing for a while, you're just like, oh God, not this question again. It's like, you sort of roll your eyes or you maybe sort of chuckle to yourself. As, uh -huh. And as I said, I've, I do this, I do the same thing, but I, also recognize that it is actually like a quite a valid concern for people people that are just starting off uh, it is actually uh, an, an actual issue for them so I did want to put a bit of thought into it and try to sort of collate a lot of the answers that I usually give for this because this concern when it starts to come up it brings about a cascade of other concerns it brings up the concern well you know am I doing this right is this meditation object that I've got, is this the right one to do? It can bring about this whole cascade of not only doubts that come up because of it, but then also can bring up a whole cascade of negative emotions as well. It can bring about frustration because we think we're doing something wrong. It can bring about despondency. It can bring about worry. So I do want to try to uh, give this question some, uh, approach it with some kind of seriousness. Um, because it is a real issue for people that are starting out in meditation. And, you know, the answer that people get when they ask this question, if it's just answered sort of flippantly, like, like as I said, like I've been very guilty of doing in the past and what a lot of other people do and just, uh, it's a simple question, I just don't answer it properly. What can happen for that is that maybe the person that asks it is there, you can be putting them on this kind of trajectory where they either 
don't get the answer that they need and they maybe give up because they don't really understand something about meditation. Or they continue practicing, but you know, maybe they don't practice as much anymore because they still think that they're doing something wrong. Or you know, they might practice, but they might get held up. They might be uh, hindered in some way because they haven't really understood this question properly, this question of you know, how do I stop my mind thinking in meditation and why is this not happening? So today, I, you know, I'd like to try to go over it in a, in, a, in a bit of detail. And first off, by going over you know, why we actually think it's a concern, why this is actually happening, why we think it's a problem. Um, and I'll go over why, in actuality, it's probably not really that much of a problem. And finally, I'll try to go over... You know, maybe some of the things you can do about it if you are actually thinking that, okay, that I have this problem as well. So the first thing to say about this, um, it is, and it's usually the caveat that we give every time, is that you have to realize that, that, that this is just totally normal. It's totally natural. Absolutely everybody goes through this process. Everybody has the thought of, why can't I stop my mind thinking in meditation? Everybody throughout the whole of human history that have been meditating from, from you know, ancient Hindus before the time of the Buddha to the Buddha himself to the, the great sages and mystics throughout history to all the millions and millions and millions and millions of other people that have actually meditated, they've all had this same concern. Everybody faces the same problem. And it doesn't matter if you've been meditating for you know, one day or 80 years, you're still facing the exact same challenge. You're facing the exact same issue. And you're still trying to develop the exact same skill. And what is that skill? You put your mind on a meditation object, something like the breath. You pay attention to it. At some point, mind wanders off. Wanders off, we realize that it's wandered off. Once we've realized, we bring it back put it on the object again, and this keeps happening ad infinitum over and over again. So whether you've been meditating for a day or you've been meditating for 50 years, you're doing the exact same thing. So just take a little bit of heart with this. If you're doing this, then you're actually you're doing it right. You're already doing this right if you're putting your mind on an object, having it wander off, realize it's wandered off, bring it back. You're doing it right. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing sort of more you need to do. The only caveat to all this is just you need to do it more. Um, and as I was, as I was thinking about, okay, what are some of the things I'm going to go over? I decided to do like a little bit of the math around this to give you, give you, I don't know if this is going to scare you or if this is going to like give you some kind of encouragement. I, I don't know, but we'll, we'll, th we'll throw it out there and see if you like it or not. So I, I wrote it down as well so I didn't screw up the numbers. Um, if, let's just say, hypothetically, let's just say you've decided, okay, I'm going to meditate for an hour every day. Um, most people don't, maybe don't do an hour, but let's just say you're going to meditate for an hour every day. And out of that one hour of meditation, Let's say your mind wanders off 30 times and you have to bring your mind back to the object 30 times. 
I think everybody that's meditated knows that that's a very conservative, that's a conservative number. It's, uh, it's probably a lot higher than that, but let's just, just for now, let's call it, you know, 30 times in one hour. So you're meditating every day, mind wanders off 30 times, and you bring it back 30 times. Now, over the course of a week, over the course of a week, if you do this, it, the mind wanders off and you bring it back 210 times. So that's just, that's just one week, 210 times you've got to do that. Space of an hour, mind wandering off, bringing it back. One week, 210 times. And, but a month, when you've been meditating for a month, you know, you've done this 840 times now. Mind's wandered off and you've brought it back. Okay, so you might be thinking, well, I've done meditation for a month now. I've done this 840 times. I should be getting good at it. But it starts to get scary when you get into the years side of things. Like if you've been meditating for a year and you've been doing this 30 times in one hour, bringing the mind back, you've actually done this uh, 11,000 times. Mind's what enough and you've brought it back 11,000 times. And it gets even worse when you get into like five years. Five years is now 55,000 times that you've done this. This is like, it's sort of starting to get scary. Like 55,000 times I've done this. I, like, I should be great at this now. But, you know, maybe somebody is meditating five years like, oh, I'm okay at it. I'm not that good. You know, 10 years. You're getting up to now 110,000 times that you've actually done this. And, you know, and it's only then you sort of, okay, well, I sort of get what meditation's about. I sort of get how to do it. Once you get into the 20th, into the 20 years, you're getting up to 220,000 times that you've actually done this. And I, I think I speak for most people that maybe if you've been doing it for like upwards of 20 years, you'd be going 220,000 times. It's like, yeah, that's probably a, like, that's a low estimate of how many times you've done it. So this is very, cons this is a very conservative kind of estimate around these things. So just take heart that it does, you know, this takes time. It's a skill. You, you, it takes time for you to actually develop this thing. Um, so why does it continue to do this then? Why does the mind, you know, if you've done this, what, like you know, 55,000 times, like why does it continue to do this? Why does the mind continue to think when you're trying to meditate? Well, I think, you know, you really have to try to take heart here. It's like it's the natural way that your mind is, is it's, it's hardwired. And humans, we're hardwired to think. We're hardwired to plan. We're hardwired to look ahead into the future. We're hardwired to learn from the kind of mistakes in our past. So we're hardwired to actually respond to stimulus that's in our environment and to be quite mentally active. This is the natural state of your mind. This is how you normally are. This is what's, you know, this is what's kept humans alive for so long. This is how you spend the majority of your day in this state of that you're constantly thinking. Um, so I, I would actually suggest that you know, this state of thinking consistently is the natural state of the mind. I know there's some meditation teachers out there that say, you know, the natural state of the mind is this state of stillness and calm and where everything drops away and this is the natural state. I, 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 I can't see that. I, I just, I can't see, like the natural state of the mind is actually you're thinking a lot. 
if the natural state of the mind was this calm state where nothing's happening, you would spend more time in that state. That would naturally be the state that you're in all the time, but we're not. The natural state that we're usually in is thinking and planning and all these kinds of things. So we have to sort of realize that that's actually the way we spend the majority of our lives, and this is quite normal for us. And so this only becomes a problem when we meditate. Every other time in your life you have this problem, you think it's, it's actually a good thing. You speak to people. If you, are, if you just like everything like switched off and you stop thinking when you're speaking to people, this would be terrible. You, you couldn't think, you know, you just stand there like a mute. Like if, if you know, you go to the, you go to get a loan and realize, okay, okay, I have to work out if I can afford these repayments. If you stop thinking then, that's awful. Like you're going to get yourself into a, like a stupid loan or something. So this kind of thinking, it's, it's only really a problem when we actually go to meditate. And so, well, okay, well, if this is the natural state, then, like, why, why is this a problem? If this is, if this is how we actually, like, function, why, is, why do we actually consider this a problem that we're thinking in meditation? And the reason that we think it's a problem is because most of the times we think that uh, in meditation we have to stop this thinking. We have this expectation that in meditation we need to stop. And so when we sit down to meditate... All these thoughts come up in the mind and they become what we call a hindrance to our meditation, these different kinds of thoughts. And this is what we call in Buddhism, we call these the five hindrances. Um, these are the things that hinder us from becoming very calm and peaceful in our meditation. And these five hindrances that the Buddha outlined is the first is that there's sensual desire. So that's things like, you know, thinking about uh, thinking about things that you've seen or heard or things that you want to taste. So thinking about a, a show that's on or thinking about what somebody said or thinking about what you're going to eat later. So the first hindrance is central desire. The, the second hindrance is ill will. And that's you know any kind of uh, anger, frustration, agitation that comes up in the mind. And this, you know, this is the one I, I get a lot. Like it's, you know, it comes up and I'm like, oh, God, I can't do this. Why can't I do this? I get that a lot. So that's ill will is the second hindrance. The third hindrance is something called uh, lethargy and dullness, which is where the mind is, you know, just, you know, humming along. Um, and this is usually the one a lot of people have problems with. You fall asleep. Um, so it's like a dullness and a lethargy within the mind. The fourth hindrance is restlessness. The mind's jumping all over the place, jumping different topic to topic. And the fifth is doubt. So these hindrances, these are the things that are, you could say, that are stopping you from being calm. These are the things that are, you know, basically making you think and getting in the way of you becoming calm. Um, and also, and so the reason why we think it's a problem is because these aren't very nice states to be in. Being in a state of ill will or doubt or restlessness or dullness, these are not nice states to actually be in. So we basically, we basically think that they're like a negative kind of state. Um, and so because we're in a negative state, we start to feel bad about it. And so 
this is where the question comes up, well, why do we actually feel bad about being in these kinds of states? If I've already said that, you know, the natural state of the mind is actually that it thinks a lot, why do we feel bad when we come up against these five hindrances? Well, as I alluded to before, we start to feel bad because we have these kinds of expectations around meditation. We expect it to be a particular kind of way. We've all heard the stories, I sit meditation, I go on a retreat, it's peaceful, it's calm, I get totally, I get, I get bliss, I get joy, all these kinds of things, and we expect meditation to be like that all the time. And you know, the reality is, is most of the times it's, it's not really like that. Most of the times uh, it's, we're not really in these kinds of fully kind of you know, the world's dropped away and we're in this kind of blissed out state. We're not usually in that way. Um, and when we think, when we come into contact with the mind being agitated or overrun by these five hindrances, we think, well, we're doing something wrong. That there's something, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with the meditation that I'm doing. There must be something wrong with the way that I'm approaching this. And so, in essence, our expectations around what meditation is, it, it's sort of, it, it's off. We've, we've, we're setting too high a bar for ourselves. Again, we think every meditation should be peaceful and calm. So I have this kind of ratio that I've used throughout the course of my, my meditative life that, uh, and I think it's a, you can disagree, but it's fine, but I, I think this is a pretty good ratio. If out of, let's say you have 10 meditation sessions, if you get one meditation session where it's really good, your mind becomes still and becomes calm for just a few minutes, just one session out of that 10, that's fantastic. That's really good. And even if within the space of you doing half an hour meditation and it's only still for like a minute or two, that's, that's awesome. That's really, really good. So you might look, you might hear that and go, okay, one out of 10 and maybe like only 30 seconds out of like hours and hours of time. This, this doesn't seem like a great ratio. Like one out of 10, this is not that good. Uh, so what about the other nine? What about the other nine, <laughs> what about the other nine meditation sessions? Well, I think if, if you have, so you have one session that's really, really good, but then you have three that are, yeah, they're, yeah, they're pretty good. I sat, I was relaxed, I was calm, it was okay. And that's, that's actually pretty good. Then if you have three more sessions where it's like, bah, I'm just totally going through the motions. I've sat, bored, I'm just doing it over and over again. Nothing happened. You have three more of those. But then if you have three that are terrible, that are like, I couldn't keep my mind concentrated at all. Mind's jumping all over the place. If you have that kind of ratio, one really good, three, yeah, it's pretty good. Three, ah, just going through the motions, average. Three, absolutely terrible. You're actually doing really well. You're actually doing pretty well. Like, so, you know, if you take heart with something like that, you know, this is, this is usually the way our meditation goes until we become very, very, very proficient, proficient at it. So, you might sort of laugh at that and go, oh, that's, you know, that's, you know, one time out of 10, that's not that good. So, okay, one time out of 10, it's good. And maybe only three other times where it's okay. Like, that's not even better than chance. I'm not even getting like 50% where I'm actually 
performing better than chance. So there must be still be something wrong there. Um, and so this is the point where a lot of us actually think, well, maybe there's something wrong with the meditation object that I'm using. Um, maybe, maybe what I'm doing here is I'm doing it wrong. The meditation object doesn't fit me in some kind of way. And this is a very natural thing for all of us to go through when we're starting off in, in the first, in, in all honesty, the first couple of years of meditation. You try out many different techniques and see which one works for you, see which one doesn't work for you. So this is a totally normal thing to do. But at some point, we have to settle on a few that work well for us. And this is the thing we have to continue to develop over and over and over again. So how do you know which one actually is the right one for you? And so the kind of litmus test that I use with these things is that if you try a particular object of meditation or try a particular kind of technique and you've tried it a few times and it has made your mind a little bit calm a few times, then you can sort of file that technique away of like, this is something that works for me. This actually is a technique that works for me. doesn't work every time, but it does work. It somehow fits in with my kind of personality. You can file that away as something of great, that works. I can just continue to keep practicing it. On the other hand, though, if you try a particular kind of meditation technique and you have like a very negative reaction to it, um, then this and it really doesn't bring up any calm, it actually maybe brings up very negative states in the mind, agitation. Um, this can happen quite a lot. You know, we have the kind we, you know, we have the kind of idea of like, you know, everybody can do the breath and the breath is very broad and general and everybody can do it. Actually, the breath in for some people actually makes them feel very claustrophobic and brings up a lot of anxiety and a lot of like a lot of rumination because they're closing their eyes and they're sort of focusing everything here. So that's actually not so good for some people that uh, have sort of higher anxiety sometimes. So if you notice that the object that you're using is not making you calm, has never made you calm, and actually there's a negative response to it in some ways, then you file that one away of, this one doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me at all. Put that one aside. Now, the caveat to both of these, it's made my mind calm, great. It's made my mind calm before, great. I'll keep that. Or this one's not really working. The... The caveat to this is you do have to give them a bit of time. Um, unless it's really negative and you're having a very negative response straight away to them, give these things a little bit of time. Sometimes you might try metta meditation and it might be, you know, the first few times we try it, eh, it doesn't really feel like it's doing anything, but, you know, I can sort of get calm from it. Sometimes we do have to give these things a little bit of time to develop, to see if we're really actually suited to this particular kind of meditation. The, the, the very good simile that Ajahn Chah gave was, uh, and this was in response to people that just jump around and do many, many different kinds of techniques. Ajahn Chah said, people that do that, it's like somebody that, uh, in essence, they want water and they know that there's water in the ground. And so what they do, they dig a bit of a hole dig a bit of a hole and then they've dug a few shovel thing. I don't know what that's called. Scoops out. They've scooped a few things out 
and they've gone, no, nah, there's no water there. I'll go over here and I'll dig another hole. Scoop a few more things out. No, nah, nothing here, no water. I go and dig another hole. And they just continue to keep digging holes all over the place without ever actually ever digging down deep enough to know that there is actually water down there. And so this is, you know, this is a great simile for if you're, you're starting to practice and you're just trying different things and maybe one works a little bit and then, you know, you have three sessions where it doesn't work and you jump to something else. But there is the, and again, it's a great simile, it's a great analogy, um, but there, I think there is a caveat to that. There is a point where you have to realize, well, actually there, there's, there's no water here. I've dug down and I've hit rock or something, or I don't have the actual tools to get down through down deep enough. Um, maybe instead of a shovel, I need a, I don't know, like a, like, what are they? Like a, like a, uh, like a big driller with a diamond drill bit to actually get down to the water. And I don't have that thing now. So there's some kinds of meditation that just don't suit you personally. You don't have the right kind of tools for. You don't have the right kinds of capacity for. So there is a point where you have to know, okay, this is a technique that works for me. This is good. I'll continue with it and I'll keep digging. Or whether it's like, okay, there's no water here. I, d I don't want to dig anymore. So in essence, so I've gone over a lot of these kinds of caveats and sort of given many kind of reassurances, but that doesn't sort of like get to the point of like, well, look, I'm doing this meditation for something. I, I, want, I want something out of it. I've heard there's all this like calm and bliss and joy and all these kinds of things. And um, yeah, I think, you know, this is something that happens in your meditation. But you know, you, you you still you still want these things, um, and but you still feel that okay, well, I still can't stop thinking in meditation. It's one thing for me to give you these reassurances; it's another thing to for you to sit for the next half an hour and go, well, you know, was Ajahn Sadaro right or not? So there's usually a few things that I sort of recommend to people when you're coming up against this, and and in essence, sort of ways that you can actually you know, do something about this. Um, the first thing is, you know, the first thing, uh, there's four, four main things usually I sort of say about this is, you know, the first thing is that you need a lot of patience with this, you, you're developing a skill. The second thing is, is we have to, like I was alluding to before, you have to change some of your expectations around what meditation is. The Third is that we have to notice when we're assailed by the five hindrances and we have to sort of course correct, but course correct in a particular kind of way. And the fourth is that we need to reassess our attitudes about what is a success and what is a failure in meditation. So with the first, with the first thing is that we actually need a lot of patience with meditation. You're developing, when you're developing meditation, you're developing a skill. And that's exactly what meditation is. It's a skill to be developed and it takes time, takes patience. You make a lot of mistakes. You do some things right. You do other things not so right. So it's a skill like anything like playing the piano or something or playing a musical instrument. When you start playing that instrument, you get it out and it's like, okay, I knock on this thing and it's like, oh, this is, this is cool, this is fun, I can sort of make some sounds, but it doesn't sound good at all. And so you start to, okay, well, I'll sort of 
you know, press a few things, okay, I'm getting a little bit more of the hang of it. Start to learn to use five fingers, eh, but you're still not really that good. You hit a lot of bum notes when you're playing. Then you learn to start putting a few chords together. You do learn to start to put a few scales together, but you still can't really play. You're still making a lot of mistakes. Um, and eventually you start to get a bit more ambidextrous. You can use your hands together or you can use them apart. And you sort of hit a point where you go, actually, I can, I can do this. I can, I can sort of do this now. But it's still not that good. It still doesn't sound that good. So you have to keep practicing with it. And the more you practice, the better you become with it. And so in essence, when you're learning something like a musical instrument, you're developing a particular kind of muscle memory. And so, again, meditation, it's totally the same. You're developing a skill, but you're, you could say you're developing like a, a mental muscle memory in this point, just like you develop any other skill. And so the second point that I usually give to a lot of people is, again, we need to change what we expect meditation to be. Again, we expect it to be this calm and peaceful thing. And, and as I've showed before with the, the excessive numbers of times you have to come back and the, and the ridiculous ratios that I've put out there, that it's not always going to be good and peaceful. Sometimes it is. And this is what we're aiming for, but sometimes it's not. We have to change our expectations that our mind should be a particular way and that we have to change our state in some way and that there's something wrong about the way our mind is now. A lot of what meditation is about is actually realizing whatever state that the mind is in at this present time and accepting it whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's, uh, whether it's thinking a lot, whether it's not thinking very much. A lot of meditation is just about accepting the mind for what it is at that point in time, as opposed to radically changing something about it. If we can, if we can do this, if we can actually learn to start accepting the mind for what it is at any time when we're meditating, it makes it actually a lot easier for us to meditate. It makes it easier, easier for us to let these things go. It makes it easier for us to become peaceful. It makes it easier for us to get to the point that we actually want to get to of calm and peace because we're not struggling and fighting against it so much. Now, there's a caveat to that point though. You know, we, we don't want to, we don't want to accept the way the mind is so much that we don't do anything about it. Uh, we don't just want to accept that, oh, it's a mess, <laughs> throw my hands up and not do anything there. That leads to the fourth point that I usually talk about, is that we do need to guide our mind in some way when we realize that the five hindrances are there. Remember the five hindrances, sensual desire, ill will, dullness and lethargy, uh, restlessness and doubt and worry. When we notice these five hindrances are there, we have to try to just course correct. Whenever either one of them are there, have to just course correct a little bit and put the mind back on track. What we don't want to do is realize that they're there and try to like jump on them and control them. You know, if you're having ill will coming up in the mind, the last thing you want to do is go, ah, I'm angry. God, I can't believe I'm so angry. Why do I get angry all the time? I just need to like stop being angry. I need to like just shut up and don't be so angry all the time. What you're doing there is fighting fire with fire, and it's just going to get worse. 
Likewise, you don't want to do the other side of that either though. You don't want to go, okay, there's anger in the mind. I'll just let it roll. Okay. I'm angry at George. George said this to me and George is such a terrible person, but I'm just going to let this roll as it is. You don't want to do that either. Again, if you notice any one of the five hindrances are there, you have to sort of nudge and guide the mind back on track. The analogy I usually like to give here, it's like it's like noticing a car's drifting off the road. Now, if you notice a car is drifting off the ro road, there's three things that you can do, and two of these things are absolutely terrible, and one is the like the right thing to do. The first thing to do that is absolutely terrible if you notice that a car is drifting off the road is, I'm sure you can sort of guess this, is yanking the wheel back and trying to really pull the car hard back onto the road. What usually happens when you do that, the car flips over uh, you, and you end up having an accident and a terrible, horrible accident that you, you're spiraling out of control. And so it's the same with meditation. If you're noticing one of the five hindrances come up and you try to jump on it and control it and push it down, then it's just going to be a chaotic mess. You're going to continue to get mind's going to continue to spiral. So what's the second terrible thing you can do if you notice a car's drifting off course? You can be, you know, uh, uh, how would you say, apathetically, ridiculously equanimous and go, well, it's running off course. I'll just let the car go. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let things be as they are. You could try that. It's most of the, like most of the time the car is going to careen off the road and smash into a tree. So we don't want to do this in our meditation either. We don't want to just go, well, I'll just let the mind go and do what it, it pleases. So what's the, obviously the, the, the smart thing to do if the car is drifting off the road? We make small corrections. We don't grab onto the wheel too tight. We don't let the wheel go totally. We just make these small kind of course corrections and get the car back on course. Likewise, when you notice one of the five hindrances coming up, you don't try to overly control it. You don't let it go, but you just gradually nudge it back on course. So if you realize something like your will's there in the mind or central desire is there in the mind, you can say, okay, oh, there's, okay, there's ill will there. That's great. Okay, this is something that's coming up in the mind. It's a very normal thing that's happening. Okay, fine, it's there, but let's sort of nudge this back on course, come back to the breath. This is my job. Goes back off, trying to nudge it back on course, correct it back on. So we have to try to find this balance with the five hindrances of not pushing them down, not letting them go, but just course correcting them, nudging them back on point. And so the last point that I always give to people that talk to me about uh, and ask the question of, you know, how do I stop my mind thinking in meditation, um, that I can't do this, my mind wanders off all the time. The One of the biggest points I try to give with this is that we have to reassess our attitudes about what is success and what is failure in meditation. A lot of times we think we're succeeding in meditation when we put our mind on the object and me, the meditator, I'm doing this great thing and I'm putting the mind on here and when my mind is on the breath that I'm succeeding. And then when the mind wanders off and I get lost in thought, at this point when I notice, then I've failed in some way. 
I failed because the mind's wandered off. I haven't done the thing that I meant to be doing. This is usually the way when we notice the mind's wandered off, we maybe beat ourselves up of like, oh, I can't believe the mind's wandered off again. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this thing? In actuality, this point, I argue, this point where you realize that the mind has wandered off, this is a success. This is actually what you're meant to be doing. This is the point where you've woken up from the kind of, you know, the, the, the dreamlike state that the mind is in. You've woken up, you've become mindful again. This is the, this is the skill you're trying to develop in meditation. So this is actually the point where we should feel encouraged as opposed to feeling despondent. When we realize the mind's wandered off, when we catch this, we can, instead of thinking, oh, aren't I terrible, I can't do this, actually start to see this as a success and think, wow, I did it again. This is great. I've, I've succeeded again. I've pulled the mind back. I've realized it's run off. This is such, I'm getting better at this. We have to see this as more of a point of where we're succeeding. succeeding. And when we do, things start to get a lot easier. You start to have more and more of these successes because you're giving yourself some encouragement here. And so instead of seeing these things as a failure, we start to see them as a success. And the more you think of this as this point as a success, then the more the actual success of keeping your mind on the object becomes more and more prominent. So in essence, what do we do? We do you know, these four kind of things. It takes time. It takes patience. We have to have a lot of patience. We're developing a skill. We have to change our, our, our expectations around meditation. It's not about just changing your mind. A lot of the times it's about accepting the mind for what it is. We have to course correct properly uh, without falling into trying to control too much or trying to let go too much when we notice that the five hindrances are there. We have to course correct the mind a little bit and gently instead of trying to yank this vehicle back on course. And... We have to reassess our attitudes about what we think is a success or a failure in meditation. And so to sort of wrap this up kind of thing, um, we really have to try to give ourselves some encouragement in meditation. We have to, have to enjoy the process as well. Give yourself some encouragement. If you do get a few of these, like few moments of peace and calm, this is like, this is fantastic. You know, there's so many people in the world that have never, ever experienced this. And you've, like, done it for a little bit. You've practiced and you've got the thing. So give yourself some encouragement there that you can actually do it. When you do have a few of these moments of peace and calm, try to remember that. Try to remember that when the, you know, the, other, the other few times where meditation is not so good. Realize that this is actually something that you can do. This is something that you is available to you and if you remember how to do these things properly it will be more and more available to you the more you practice it it will be more available to you but as i said you know really just enjoy the process you're going to make mistakes you're gonna things are not going to go right again like learning an instrument you play to learn to play the piano or any other instrument you make a lot of bad notes uh, you do a lot of bum notes, but actually in some of those bum notes that you play, you actually learn something about how you play properly. You create maybe a new way to play this instrument. You 
you create a style that's just totally your own. So it's the same with meditation. If you make some of these mistakes, like don't worry about it so much. It's you're developing your own way of doing this. Take some encouragement from this. Take some, take some, uh, uh, have this good attitude of like, I'm going to enjoy this process because this is what it is. It's a creative and it's a process. It's a challenge. It's a skill to master. So if you can do this, you know, it's, you know, whether your mind wanders off or it doesn't wander off, doesn't matter anymore because you're enjoying this process of learning about what the mind is like. So maybe with that, that's probably, that's the longest ever answer to that question that's sort of been recorded in history. So that's, that's probably, that's probably enough for now. So if anybody ever asked me this question ever, ever again, I can say there's a, there's a, there's a whole talk on it on YouTube, so just go, just, just go and look at that. All right, thank you very much, Ajahn. If, if anyone asks, wants to ask a question, apart from the one that's just been answered... <laughs> just, just try it. Just ask me and see what happens. Like, <laughs> um, please feel free to come and use the microphone here. Um, We'll be getting possibly quick questions online as well, and just to make it fair for both audiences, we'll uh, alternate uh, if there are a number of questions from the people here and a number of questions online. We'll just take it in turn so everyone can get an opportunity to be to ask a question. But if, if anyone would like to start um, here in the room, please feel free to step forward. Thank you. Hey, G'day, thank you for the talk. It was very lovely. No, no problem. Um, I was just wondering, um, do you have any sort of positive sort of like mantras or affirmations or quotes mm. that you sort of say to yourself in your inner dialogue that you could possibly share that bring you like great joy or happiness? Mm. Just whatever comes up, to, up, up for you, that would be really uh, much appreciated. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, obviously everybody's different in this process as well. What means something to you might be very, very different to what means something to me. So this is something, again, like picking a kind of meditation, we try these different things, see if it works for us, see if it doesn't work for us. Um, but, the, you know, the question is, is for me, myself, what are some of the um, you know, sort of affirmations that I maybe use? And one big thing I try to remind myself a lot of is that all this really is impermanent. All this is passing. And that this, just right now, this is just the way it is. And the way it is right now won't be like this, always. It always passes. So trying to remind myself of the impermanency of everything that I experience in my life. This is something, for me, this actually helps quite a lot. I get angry, I get, I get stubborn, I get critical, I get, I get arrogant. It's like, okay, you're, you're, you're being mean, you're being nasty, but it's, this is just the way it is now. It's going to pass at some point. It's impermanent. Also, one thing I try to do a lot, um, something I try to remind myself a lot is that any time that I'm sort of, you could say, wrapped up in the world, try to remind myself that this thing that I think is me is just an idea. 
this ego that I'm clinging to, this is just an appearance in my experience. This is not really the thing that I think it is. Trying to remind myself of that is, for me, that's actually quite quite helpful, you know, to think and to remind myself that, you know, I'm not the thing that I think I am. Um, the thing that I think I am is merely just a passing appearance. To remind myself of that, you don't sort of get too you know, caught up in, hey, I'm right and I'm, I'm the best, I'm, I'm good at this uh, and you're wrong, or uh, the way I'm seeing the world is the right way, the way you're seeing the world is the wrong way. Reminding myself that this thing that I think is me is just, is just an appearance, it's just an illusion. This is something that is quite, quite helpful for me. Um, and yeah, so it's, these are some of the things that I use and you know, the reality is I, I don't remember them all the time, but I try to. So hopefully, hopefully they're helpful in some way. Thank you, Ajahn. We'll go to, there's a question um, online. Mm. Does practicing samatha help during one's bardo stage, even if he or she isn't initiated by a guru? So for anybody that doesn't know what that question is alluding to, uh, the Bardo state is a uh, teaching, a belief in te- early Tibetan Buddhism, came from, came from the earlier Bon religion that was prevalent in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, whereby when a being dies, they go to a particular state beforehand, before taking rebirth somewhere else. And uh, the, the, the teaching, the belief is that if you can sort of train your mind properly and going into this bardo state, then you can become sort of liberated in the bardo or become liberated after the bardo. Um, so that's in essence what the bardo is. You're, there's, a, there's an intermittent period before you take rebirth into the next life where you're just sort of hanging out kind of thing. So what was the actual question again? I forgot what the question was, sorry. One second, it's just moved out of sight. If something, if I... It does practicing samatha help oh, during one's bardo stage, even if he or she isn't initiated by a guru, which may need some explanation as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so in Tibetan Buddhism, so hopefully I don't forget the question again, but uh, <laughs> in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, a lot of the times to do a lot of the practices that they do, some of the more uh, higher practices, you have to have a guru actually teach this to you. Specific kind of practice because you've passed a specific level, um, a guru will initiate you into that and give you that kind of practice to do. So, so the question is, would be would doing samatha, developing samadhi, help in that bardo state? I don't know. I, I. After all that, you know, I I don't really know. I don't know enough about the bardo state. Um, I, but what I. Do know and what I have some, uh, at least some views on, or have some sort of ideas on, is developing samatha and developing calm and, and trying to concentrate the mind and develop, develop some kind of stillness. This is a very, very wholesome thing to do. This is a good mind state to be in. This is a good mind state to develop throughout the entirety of your life. This is a mind state that if you can develop it through the course of your life, you'll be living a very, very good life. Um, and if you've developed that skill well, as I said, this is a practice that takes a long time. 
once you get to that point of actually passing away, if you can do this, then this is going to actually make the most ostensibly terrifying thing that you're ever going to face in your existence, your death. This is going to allow you to be calm and face it with calm and poise and face it with clarity. I think it, at the very least, practicing samatha should be able to do that. Um, what it does to the bardo state, you know, I, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know. Um, but I know that if you practice samatha throughout your life, um, then you'll be leading a very, very good life. And if you can practice it at the point of when you're about to pass away, then this is going to ensure that the most uh, horrifying thing that you'll ever experience in life, you can see it with calm and you can see it with clarity. So sorry it doesn't exactly answer the question. You may have to ask a, a uh, somebody more familiar with Tibetan Buddhism about that because I, I, just, I just don't know enough about it. So sorry. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ajahn. It was a valiant effort. It was a valiant effort. I tried. <laughs> Is there another question um, from anyone in the room? Yes. Thank you. You can just squeeze the handle down there to drop it. On, on, the, on the pole. Thank you for the talk, Ajahn. Um, just with respect to meditation, mm. and I don't really understand this clearly, but um, there. I have heard about them being able to step back, as it were, and watch the mind bounce around the place. Mm. Is that an is that a goal of what you're trying to achieve in meditation, or is it important to be able to do that? Mm. So it is it is a state that you are actually able to inhibit, whereby you, in, in essence, you sort of get a bit of distance. You get a bit of distance from it. You know, the mind. The mind might still think and all these kinds of things, but you can sort of step back and start to realize, oh, hang on, this is just thought. This is just thought arising and passing away. This may be just a mood or an emotion that's arising and passing. So you get you can get a bit of distance from it. It's When you say you can get a bit of distance from it, mm. what is it that's getting a bit of distance? Is yeah. it the mind? Or yeah. Like, I don't understand that. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it is a valid question. It's a source of confusion for a lot of people so usually the way we usually experience the world and our thought is that we're totally wrapped up in it these thoughts that i think them you know they're mine they're me this this these thoughts that i'm having this is everything about me and this is the world that i'm experiencing the kind of distance we're talking about is we start to realize is that no 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 these are just thoughts so it's not like there's a like a homunculus in the head of like you, know, you stepping back and you observing this other you that's observing the other you that's observing the other you and back and back and back and back and back and back. There's not that kind of homunculus, but it's more about we start to realize that these things that we usually take as ourselves, our thoughts, our emotions, our moods, all these things, these thoughts that we take as ourselves are just a process. And so we can see the pro it's just a process that continues to move along. Usually we're wrapped up in this process. Usually we are the process. But we sort of step back and go, no, 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 it's just a process. So again, it's not this kind of, you know, you know, one being, you know, being being one and being one point one and being one point two and being one point three. It's not these kinds of things, but you actually more start to realize that no, this is just a process. It's not you know, this thing I thought was me and I thought was my experience. 
and that causes me all this suffering. It's not that, it's just a process. So the question of, you know, is it an important thing to do? It's something that will naturally happen. The more you, the more you do practice, the more you practice with, again, trying to sort of uh, bring the mind back to the present and sort of uh, accepting the kinds of mind states that come about. The more you practice this, at some point you will get this kind of, it is a little bit of an aha moment of, oh, hang on, this this is just a process. These thoughts that I have, it's just its just thinking, it's just a process. Is that the mind realising that it's just the process going on or is it something else? To, you, could, you could say that. Yeah, you could say that. It's, um, it's probably, uh, there's probably like a way of explaining that in a better way but like that is that is a good enough way to mm. you know basically you're you're realizing you're realizing that this is just the way that the mind is and it is just a process so yeah it's not some kind of uh you know state of deeper level of self that you tap into it's not something like that it's just realizing okay this is a yeah. process so it's a very simple thing then. yeah it's a very simple thing and it and it is just recognizing that this is a process. Okay. So, yeah. All right, great. Yeah. Thank you very much. No, no problem. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, if we switch over to an online question, the next one uh, is um, as follows. Is a meditative state while engaged in gardening or being with nature as worthwhile as seeking an entirely quiet mind in proper seated meditation? No. <laughs> No, um, uh, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but there's a reason I'm facetious because I, I look at these kinds of things a lot. Um, uh, the I'm not to, I'm not saying that uh, those states while you're gardening and doing these things aren't important and that they're not that they're not an important thing to actually strive for and to try to do do them. Yes, it's very very good, but this is not developing meditation. This is just reminding yourself that you're mindful throughout the day. This is a very, very different thing from actually developing meditation and developing this skill properly. It's like for, for it to actually, for, our, for us to develop our mindfulness properly, you need to, you need to actually like train to do that a little bit and you need to like set aside time to do that. You need to actually have this period where you I'm going to put everything else in the world down for a while and I'm just going to focus on doing this thing if we do that then this is when we actually start to build up a strength in the mind and the more strength we have in the mind from doing these kinds of formal practices it makes us easier to go out and do the gardening and be in that mindful state while we're gardening so don't just rely on the mindfulness in daily life and I can just I can just mindfully color in and I can mindfully garden and I can mindfully drive my car and I can, don't just rely on that actually set aside some time to actually practice set aside some time where you're actually trying to formally develop this skill that you're trying to develop again it's not to say that mindfully gardening or something like that is not important it is you know the more you can be mindful throughout the day the more it will support the formal practice that you have 
But likewise, the formal practice that you have is going to be the thing that supports you being able to be more, more mindful throughout the day. So you need both. You can't just do one. You can't just do the other. You have to do both. Um, the reason I get amped up about this and I get sort of jump out of my skin kind of thing is like people use this as an excuse. Uh, they think, well, I can just be mindful throughout the day and so I don't have to practice. It's like, no, 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 you, like you do. You have to do some practice. You can't just use, well, I'm going to be mindful throughout the day as an excuse not to practice because if you just do this kind of mindfulness throughout the day, you don't actually realize how much you're lost in thought. You don't realize how much you're just thinking that you're mindful when you're actually not. You're just thinking, okay, I'm, okay, I'm gardening now. It's like, you're just telling yourself, like you're telling yourself a story. You're not being mindful. So, you know, real mindfulness is when you actually like sink into the experience. Um, and this happens through developing this skill, as I said, more of through our formal practice. So again, Continue to garden mindfully. It's a, it is a good thing. Continue, but also supplement that with actually doing formal practice. Hopefully, that answered the question, and I didn't just sort of go off on my little pet peeve, so, <laughs> which I tend to do sometimes. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, we're back to a question from anyone in the room. If anyone would like to ask, probably got time for one or two more questions. You can there also are, just yell it out if you want, and I'll repeat it. There are more online questions, which okay. I may go to while people are yep. considering. Arjan? Yep. Namaste. What is the role of the body in meditation? I'd ask for more clarification, as in... As in should we focus on the body? Should we pay attention to the body? Is the body necessary to meditate? What should we? What position should the body be in? I'm not sure exactly what the the, the question is. You need a body to meditate. You need a body to be alive. If you're not don't have a body and you're not alive, you can't meditate. So. That's the easiest answer I've got at the moment. So, all right, there is a, a thirty-second delay with this going out okay. to YouTube. So, the person who asked that question, if you hear Ajahn's uh, asking for clarification, feel free to type it in. Yeah. Until then, I think we'll just quickly go to the next yeah, question. Sure. Sorry, um, you didn't yeah, answer it. Yeah. That, that, yeah, very broad question. Yes. Yeah. Um, this may also be broad, but uh, can you elaborate on ill will and ways that you can cope with it, both in meditation and everyday life? Mm. Yeah, so you know, ill will being one of the five hindrances, this can mean that the mind gets stuck in or starts to experience more, you know, like anger, frustration, uh, hostility, uh, retributive mind states of he said this bad to me and I'm going to say this back to him. So any kind of, any kind of, uh, it really it has it, it's it really has its basis in uh, like what we call hatred in Buddhism uh, 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 dosa uh, this is, it really has a sort of basis in that it's one of the fundamental aspects of a you know deluded and defiled mind and so 
anybody that says that I don't get angry, I just, I just don't believe them. I, I it's, 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 well, it's like, well, you're almost enlightened then. So everybody get, everybody gets angry. Everybody has ill will. It's, it's a part of the parcel. Um, so it's, in essence, ill will is any kind of mind state that has this kind of negative, uh, anger, valenced quality to it. Now, the question comes about of like, how do we overcome this? How do we, you know, how do we, what can we actually do with these things? As I said, with the, dealing with the five hindrances, say, for example, something like ill will, if you notice ill will is in the mind, you know, the worst thing that you can do is, as I said, like fight fire with fire. If you get angry in the mind, the last thing you want to do is like, why am I so angry? God, I shouldn't be so, why, I'm such an angry person. I really need to stop being so angry. Again, you're just you're creating more ill will. You're creating more anger. Again, you have to try to at least realize that there is ill will in the mind and just try to nudge it back on course. Okay, there's ill will there. I'm sort of feeling a lot of anger and resentment at the moment. This is just how it is. Try to move it back to uh, a more neutral mind state, the breath or whatever uh, object that you might be using. We can also do things to counter this, bring up other mind states that, that are, that are, um, that are in total opposite to anger and ill will. We can try to bring up states of, uh, kindness and, uh, loving kindness and states of metta. We can try to develop some of these, uh, in our practice. If we notice that we actually get caught up in ill will, a lot, you know, maybe we can use a technique like developing loving kindness or compassion to, you know, sort of counteract that or counterbalance that in, in some kind of way. So, you know, there's, there's a, a few of these kinds of techniques we can do, but then also, you know, at times, you know, sometimes you're just angry and like it's, you have ill will in the mind. Sometimes you just need to go and do something else, change. You know, if you're really getting angry, you're really ruminating on a lot of anger and ill will, change it, go do something, go help somebody, go say something nice to someone. Um, you know, try to do these also outside physical things as well. Say something nice to someone, say some, say, say, really say thank you to the person that gives you a, a coffee when you go and buy a coffee or something. So we can do these outer things as well to counteract our ill will. Also, we can do these internal things like trying to develop kindness and compassion through our meditation. So maybe one more question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Well, I'm one of those people who very occasionally mm. um, has quite a bit of ill will and it's mm. pretty focused so I won't mm. comment beyond mm. that and I actually find by watching the anger mm. looking at it mm. what the heck is at the bottom of the anger mm. that the ang anger often dissipates and I see where the problem is mm. 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 rather than it's not just loose targeting yep. but it's actually very focused mm. so yes I think we have to be very careful when we say you know, get well as you're saying, get rid of it, get rid of it, because mm. sometimes we really actually know mm. or have an understanding of the source, mm. and that, that we can help ourselves by looking at that source, mm. and and therefore acting perhaps differently, mm. trying to focus one's mind differently, mm. using loving kindness. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So that was just a comment. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. And it's actually, it's it's yeah, you've also got onto something that. Uh, 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 like interests me a lot. Like 
what's the utility of anger? Yeah. Uh, anger actually can be useful in some respects, uh, protecting protecting people, uh, uh, all these kinds of things. Uh, sometimes we need, uh, you know, sometimes anger is useful for, you know, attributing responsibility and things like this. So it's, you know, if anybody's got an, an answer to that, I'd love to, I'd love to hear it. I've been thinking about it for years and I, I still can't really work it out. It's like, well, what's, you know, uh, you know, Buddhism, we teach that we should be rid of anger, but actually anger is useful sometimes. So how do we, how do we sort of square that? Um, I think about it a lot, so anybody's got some great answers for me, I'd be I'd be happy to I'd be happy to hear what they are. Um, actually, with that, we we might call it, call it a day because uh, uh, as monastics, we have to eat at a particular time, <laughs> and if I continue to go on, uh, lunch won't be won't be able to get lunch until it's too late. So. Uh, sorry for anybody that had more questions. Uh, you know, at some at some point in the world, I'll get I'll get around to it. Um, we are actually doing this, uh, as we said, the Friday night, the Friday night, where you can come and ask. Uh, you can come and ask any question that you want. Uh, so any and all questions are, are, are good. You can ask me questions about what a monastic life is like. You can ask me just questions about Buddhism. You can throw up some of these like philosophical quandaries in Buddhism. I really like, I really love all that sort of stuff. So, um, you're more than welcome to come next Friday night and ask me many, many, many questions because the whole premise of it is ask me questions. And if nobody asks me questions, as well, the whole thing just falls on its face. So, so yeah, I encourage some more questions and I'm sure at some point I'll get around to some of those questions. What time is that on Friday night, Ajahn? Seven o'clock. Seven till eight. Yeah, hopefully it's, yeah, I should know. I, I, I was the one that sort of instigated it. I should know, but yeah, I think it's seven o'clock. So yeah, at the moment, uh, and just actually maybe just quickly for anybody online. So that Friday night session, uh, initially we're not offering it online at the moment. Um, uh, because uh, because we don't actually know exactly how the format's going to work yet, so going to do it in person a few times first, see if it's see if it's um, see if it works, see how the format works, and then maybe later down the track we'll be uh, offering it for people online or maybe people that are further away that can't get to can't get to the center here. Um, but for now, just anybody that's that's available to come in person, we we offer it more in person. So, but eventually, eventually maybe we'll offer it online so yeah hopefully i'll get to some of the questions okay very good so we'll end up uh, finish up by paying respects to the buddha dhamma sangha